The rest of you can open up to 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 5 is where we're at. You know, it's quite a week to be an American. It's actually been quite a summer. Uh, there have just been a lot of things uh, in the news that have been hard to swallow, difficult to watch. I think there are times that we are united as Americans around things that we don't necessarily wish we were united around, but uh, certainly some common emotions are rampant right now, uh, fear and anger and confusion and, of course, deep sadness. You know, as Christian Americans, we are not left hopeless. As Christians, we are hopeful in a sovereign God. I think many of you would give mental assent to this, agree with this, but there are times in your life when you see this come to to reality in a different powerful way, and that is this statement. God speaks to us in timely ways. I think we would all nod our heads to this, but this week, the reality of that, the truth of that, landed on me in a fresh way. Uh, Months ago, the preaching schedule for this little letter of 1 Thessalonians was put out, and on this Sunday, of all Sundays... The letter takes us into these two themes. Proper attitude toward authority. And secondly, how to really get along with other people. Does God not speak in timely ways to us? Let me pray. God, we need a word from you this morning. We need you to speak into our personal lives, our church life, and our country's life. God, this morning I pray that our hearts, our minds would be anticipating good news from you, God, that you would bring clarity to some of the things that have made for foggy times in these days. God, as we look to your word, as we always do, I pray, God, that you would speak into each life, each heart, as you would see fit. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, some powerful things were said on my TV this week that are missing generally, from the lips of people on TV. One prominent newscaster said this, that we need God. No qualifiers, no shame to that, just simply we need God. The the President of the United States called all Americans to pray. Again, not overly abnormal, but not on the regular lips of a president. There's a certain dangerous pendulum, I think, that swings back and forth with authority. There are those in potentially this room, but certainly in our culture, that that are really suspicious of all authority. And so they don't think there should be any leader, right? Power to the people. They don't view leadership as a gift from God. They view it simply with suspicion. Of course, the other pendulum would be that we would put our hope in man. That politics seems to be life or death because that really is what it is for people. It's the hope of them in this world is that their candidate wins, that their policy gets through. And if not, it's a matter of life or death. These aren't just dangerous extremes, but I would say demonic because they are void of God's design. I was shown an illustration of what leaderlessness looks like uh, maybe a couple years ago. Uh, We were in our front yard or kind of in our front room and heard a little bit of a commotion outside And we look outside of our house. We live on Cherry Avenue where cars are racing by at 35 miles per hour. And we look out and there's a couple of people who have stopped their car and there are probably a good 12 or so little baby chicks, tiny baby chicks, 
wandering in the bike lane of Cherry Avenue. And what was odd about it is there was no mom around. There was no dad around, a ch chick, dad, mom. And so there were people trying to shepherd these chicks out of traffic and kind of trying to scare them. And this is when my family took over and we said, we've got this handled. Um, and so we just began to, to shepherd these, these little chicks. And every, ever so often, I mean, 12, right? That's a lot. Every so often, one would just kind of dart out into the street. And my kids were tempted to, like, you know, stop a speeding train for this chick. And so I'm trying to shepherd the kids who are trying to shepherd the chicks. It was a nightmare, to be totally honest. We finally got those chicks down to the creek about a block and a half away. We got them over the fence, and we don't really know what happened to them. But leaderlessness isn't just not pretty. It's deadly. I mean, these chicks were in real trouble because they didn't have a leader. Of course, if you look to leaders, you realize how important followers are uh, to any venture and, and any family. Um, it's been said that uh, leaders with no one following are simply taking a walk, right? So you could have the title of leader, but if no one's following you, it doesn't really matter. So it requires both. Now, that's leaderlessness. How about, how about strong-handed leaders, dictators? I mean, how many families and countries have we seen blown apart because of strong-handed leadership? Dictators who take the power unto themselves and just dispense it however they see fit. People make terrible gods. They make terrible dictators. God lights a path that leads to life. We would all say, yes, that's true. But I would say beyond salvation. It's not just for salvation, but how we live in community once we're saved. It's not just that God saves us from a life of sin. He saves us into a family. He saves us into a family, into a, into a life of meaning and of purpose. And he lights the way for how we are to live in that community once we are saved. To say it a different way, the gospel not only creates the new family, it continually shapes the family. And so as we show up here on Sundays, as you check in with God, as Rob was saying, you are looking to God to say, God, I want the gospel to shape and influence my marriage. I want it to shape and influence how I treat my brothers and sisters, not only here, um, here at, at church, but also really in the whole human race. As I watch the news, I can't help but think this. If there was ever a time for the church to shine and simply show off who she is to a watching world, now is the time. I mean, who better values all lives but Christians, right? doesn't matter race, color, economics. Christians go out of their way to seek to do good. So what better time, church, for us to simply be the church? We shouldn't have to try to now be something that we aren't. We ought to live out our calling as brothers and sisters in God's good family. Here are the two <clears throat> things that you'll see uh, this morning in our text Again, if you're new to the program, this is a clock face. Instead of numbers, these are just phrases that we see, themes that are built into 1 Thessalonians that we keep coming back to. You'll see this, seek to do good and respect each other. Are those powerful ideas right now? Absolutely. We're going to see that directly from the text this morning of what Paul is trying to communicate. This week we have two birthdays in our family. Tomorrow my, uh, one of my daughters turns six years old. That's a huge deal. And Friday is what we call Tegan's new birthday. Uh, it, was, it just happened, and that's when she uh, received Christ. And so both reasons in our family are cause for celebration. I bring that up because this, we aren't just children of the human race. We're children of the light. We are born again, as Jesus said. 
And as children of the light, we belong to one family. Listen to this. In two letters to this little church in Thessalonica, Paul uses the term brother 27 times. Just in this closing portion of chapter 5, he uses it seven times. It was one of his favorite motifs for the church. You are a family. And by the way, sisters, in case you're feeling left out, the word incorporates not just brotherhood, but sisterhood. That's the way the language is built into that. So when you read that, that is brothers and sisters. We are a family. We belong to one family. God is our Father. Because it's important to God, it's important to us. We know this instinctively, we know this experientially, that without leadership, any family falls apart. I was jotting in some sort of a personal journal that I have a little while ago, and it kind of dawned on me that, you know, a part of my calling is to help people learn how to live in a family. At home, I'm a dad, and as a dad, we bring people into our family biologically and otherwise, and we teach them what it looks like to live in a family. We show them in incremental little ways, day after day after day. Here's how we do meal times. Here's how we do uh, bedtime. Here's how we do playtime. Here's how we party. Here's how we grieve, right? This is how we do it. And as a dad, I have a lot of help. I have a wonderful supportive spouse. I have a wonderful supportive family that models how we do it. And when we get it wrong, you know what we do? We show as a family what we do when we get it wrong. We renounce it. We repent. We turn to God. We apologize to one another and seek forgiveness from one another. As a pastor, I do things in the church that are very, very similar to doing things in the home. I teach people as they come into the church family, how do we do leadership? How do we do followership? How do we do relationship? How do we do mission as a family? And there are many people who join God's family. They have broken, misconstrued ideas of what it ought to look like. They are immediately suspicious of God as Father. Why? Because they've been portrayed fathers as something abusive and authoritarian and disgusting. And God has to take that and reform that and reshape that. And God uses church leaders to help figure that out for people. Leadership in Christ is altogether different than anywhere else, or at least it ought to be. And it's because leadership as a Christian has a completely different starting point. You see, every single Christian is a follower. Is that untrue? I mean, it's built into our identity that we are followers. Jesus called followers. He didn't call leaders. He didn't come on the scene and say, Hey, I'm holding a leadership seminar. All those who are influencers, come to my program. He said, Come and follow me. Every Christian is a follower. Hear me. If you are ever following a Christian leader who is not a follower, you are in dangerous territory. You are setting yourself up for heartache and misery. Every Christian is a follower. That ought to ooze out of everyone, leader or follower in the church. Let's look at our passage today, uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, starting in verse 12. It says this, We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. Paul's going to address two different categories. Leadership, sort of our attitudes in leadership and our actions toward one another in relationship. So first, leadership. What is your attitude toward leadership? What is your attitude towards authority? I mean, just kind of gut level, 
visceral response to that question. Some of you probably struggle with authority. Some of you know that and have confessed that to me and just said, man, that is a, that is a natural default thing. I'm suspicious of leaders. I'm su- su- suspicious of authority. Others of you are rule followers. Uh, my wife and I have learned that if you have enough kids, you have some that are just naturally rule followers, um, and they're the ones that tend to not only follow the rules, but what do they do? They call out when their siblings don't follow the rules, right? And others of them are natural, let's put it positively, rule testers, right? They see a boundary, they're like, huh, I wonder if that thing holds. And so they slam headlong into it. That's how it is in the room this morning, no doubt. Um, I was reading Ecclesiastes as part of a, a Bible reading program that I'm on for this year. And if you want to find a companion book to First Thessalonians, go and read Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes is the ultimate now and later type of book. Think about Solomon, the wisest man who ever, who ever lived. He wrote it. He had all the resources to live for now in a way that you and I can only dream of. And yet he comes to some, clu- some conclusions, doesn't he, about later and about the, the folly of living just for now. And this is a guy who could really do it up well. You know, he speaks to leadership. Ecclesiastes 10.20, listen to this. Never make light of the king, he writes. Never make light of the king, even in your thoughts. And don't make fun of the powerful, even in your own bedroom. For a little bird might deliver your message and tell them what you said. As we enter a very volatile political season, a run towards the presidency that is unlike any I can remember in my lifetime, I want to challenge you, church, to act like children of the light. Don't take on the cultural values and the cultural ways of discussing things. I would say this, pray for the candidates, don't put them down. It says, don't make light of the king even in your thoughts. It's a challenging passage. You know, in many other places, we're instructed about government leaders, but here in this passage... Paul is specifically addressing leadership, authority, inside the church as a part of the family of God. And he gives three very specific instructions. Respect them, esteem them very highly in love, and be at peace. That's sort of a synopsis of how um, we ought to be with our leaders. I want you to note a couple of things. One is, he uses the plural form for leaders. We're to respect them. Now, this is exactly why this church is not built on one leader. I might be one of the more visible leaders in this church. Someone came to me this week with a request. I said, great, let me talk to the fellows about it. I'll get back to you. I do not make unilateral decisions around this church. If tomorrow God calls me home or God calls me elsewhere, this church continues on without missing a blip. Why? We have a plurality of leadership here. You know who your leaders are. They're up front all the time. They are shepherding and pastoring just like I am through the week. We do that because that's scriptural. Secondly, is that even in his appeal, um, Paul is modeling the Christian leadership distinctive. Here's what I mean. Follow me. In 1 Corinthians, these are all from 1 Corinthians, he, he, he is commanding people in different kinds of ways. Okay, listen to it. One, he says this, I appeal to you, brothers, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, so there he's appealing, attaching Jesus' name to it. Secondly, uh, 1 Corinthians 7, he says, to the married, I give this command, not I, but the Lord. Right? This is like, thus saith the Lord. Now, just a moment later, two verses later, he says, to the rest I say, and then parenthetically he says, I, not the Lord. So this is Paul talking. This isn't a word from the Lord. This is my advice to you. 
And then elsewhere, Romans 12, he says this, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. No qualifications. He just lays it out. Do not do this. Now, look at verse 12. How does he command them in Christian leadership? Remember, this is a Christian leader giving the instruction for people to respect and highly esteem and love Christian leaders. So he could have written this a lot of different ways. Here's how he says, verse 12, we ask you. We ask you, church. It's a request. We ask you. What he's doing is this. He is appealing to them. This is the way that love and and respect work. It's not lording over like the Gentiles, which we see elsewhere in Scripture, right? It's not making demands of it. You can make demands for love and respect, and you'll often get sort of a surface picture of that, right? Boss man walks through. Everyone goes, hey, boss man, you're looking good today. What happens when boss man leaves the break room? Not a lot of good stuff often, right? That's the appearance of highly esteemed in love. That's the appearance of respect. But what Paul's doing is he's modeling a Christian distinctive. And he's, he's putting it in a softer way. You know, God does this with us, doesn't he? He doesn't overpower our will. In so many different ways, he doesn't come in and overpower us. Paul points out that the calling to lead and love and labor in the church is hard work. I know what you're thinking. How could this guy have a hard job? He works for a couple of hours on Sunday, Right? I mean, doesn't look, I asked my youth pastor at one point, I began to get a sense that, that God might be calling me away from architecture, which is what I thought I wanted to do, and, and, and into serving uh, people in some way. And I said, I went to him, I said, Mike, I know that you show up for youth group midweek, and I know that you work really hard on Sunday. What do you do the rest of the week? I had no clue what he did the rest of the week. And he began to enlighten me. The reality is, is this is a calling, this is a job that you can hide out and probably have pretty uncalloused hands and and take advantage of some things. If you're doing this right, a couple of things should be true in in my estimation. One is you shouldn't be getting rich. If I ever buy a Learjet, question it, okay? (laughs) This church should not afford a Learjet. I don't really have a reason for a Learjet. But secondly, it ought to be hard. There ought to be labor involved to love and serve And you'll see just from this text, it ought to be a difficult calling. I don't want you to feel sorry for Ben or myself or any of the other elders, but I I want to let you know it, it is a difficult calling. Our membership does a lot to lay out how we as leaders are to lead. It's chock full of scripture that just puts in one place... Hey, here's the kinds of leaders that ought to be qualified to lead and shepherd in this church. It lays out how we are to go about leadership. In other sermons, we've covered that um, a lot. The membership also lays out how we as church family are to follow. And there's a lot of scriptural backup. I would invite you and challenge you to go and check that out and look at it. So how is NBC doing right now? You know, here's one of the powerful things about preaching through a book of the Bible, which is our sort of bread and butter around here, is that you get to topics that you wouldn't overly, uh, wouldn't normally come to. If it were just me, I would have a field of vision towards the scriptures. I love talking about these things, not so much these or not so much these. It's a little awkward, right, for a preacher to preach in this way of saying, hey, I'm one of the leaders. You ought to respect me and highly esteem me in love. Right? It's there in the book. I'm not trying to demand these things of you, but come on, people. That could be a little awkward. 
some leaders might rush to these passages and actually preach on them kind of a lot. But others would go, you know what, that's kind of awkward. I'm going to avoid that. It's so powerful to go through a book of the Bible because when you go through a book of the Bible, you come through stuff that you're just not that excel, you're, you're not that good at. You don't think about a lot. You're not that educated on. And you have to figure that out. And there's other parts of the scripture that feel a little awkward that you just get to and you just lay out and say, look, this is what the good book says. Let me say this right now, and I can speak for Ben. I didn't ask Ben in advance of this. I can speak for Ben because I know. We are thrilled to be your pastors. We are thrilled to be on a leadership team that loves the Lord and loves you, and it's evident by that. I know for each of our guys, several of whom are sitting in the room right now on the elder board, they would say the same thing. None of us begrudge coming to elders meetings. It's a stretch. Ben and I have the privilege and the solemn weight of getting supported to do this full time. We take that very, very seriously. We want you to know that. The rest of the guys squeeze this in into leading a family, into leading a full-time job in the Silicon Valley, fighting traffic and fighting just all the normal stuff you guys fight. And guess what? They joyfully, for the most part, show up at meetings. And we love being together. Now, here's the truth. Hear me on this. I would preach this passage even if it were terrible right now. If there was very little respect, if there was very little highly esteem and love going on with Ben and I, I would still preach this passage. I would still call you to act like Christians and live this out. Here's what I know because I've been around the block a couple of times. There are good seasons. There are bad seasons. Right now, there is a lot of mutual love in this church between leadership and, and, and followers. And I cherish that. And we want to work hard to preserve the unity in this church. We're coming up on our 10-year anniversary in November. What I know is that between the 10-year anniversary and the 28-year anniversary, guess what? Things just can change. I hope they don't, but I may come across a passage like this again, and I will still preach this faithfully, even if there aren't just overwhelmingly good vibes right now. But I'll tell you right now, church, you are doing an amazing job at this. Laura and Ben, Becky and myself, the elders, we, we sense your following. It is, it is a joy to be the leaders at this church. When you look at why Paul wrote this, we have to kind of read between the lines. This isn't known for sure. But you go, why does Paul write this? There's the potential that it wasn't coming natural to the people in Thessalonica, that maybe there were problems, maybe there were conflicts going on between those who were being led and those who were leading in the church. And he was wanting to step in and correct it. It could have been preventative, right? It could have been, look, this isn't true now because you're a nice young church starting, you're all energetic, but guard yourselves. This is how you treat leaders as a Christian, as a new creature in Christ. Here's what I know. Whether it was coming naturally to them or not, I know it doesn't come naturally to us. You know why? We're born rebels. We are just born rebels. And again, it's sort of expressed in different ways. Some people are overtly disruptive in the church. Others are sort of secretly subversive. And still others are completely apathetic to it all. Right? And they just kind of are, are lukewarm to, to things. So I know that this teaching is needed for all of us. A lack of respect for spiritual leadership on the one hand, or a lack of spiritual leadership is the cause for almost every family split, whether church or home. Let me say that again. 
a lack for spiritual leadership on the one hand, or, and it's probably a combination of both, a lack of spiritual leadership is the cause for a church family to split or a cause for a Christian home to split. So this is imperative that we get this right. Let me get really practical. These are some fill-ins for you uh, on your paper. Uh, one of the best ways to be at peace with your leaders is quite simply to follow them. Work with them, not against them. Be teammates and not competitors. That sounds like fall off the log easy and simple in concept, but it can sometimes be really hard to do. But one of the ways to be at peace with leaders is to follow them. If you reject the program, if you reject the leadership, make sure that you understand where the leaders are coming from. I really respect people who've come and said, I'm really wrestling with with your mode of doing this. And it may be personal preference, not biblical difference, right? So can I get together with some of you guys, and I just want to make sure I understand before I leave the church, before I get frustrated. I, I want to be open to being, maybe I need to shift my perspective on it. I really respect that. Sometimes people reject rumors about what's going on in leadership without ever approaching leadership and having the guts to just speak the truth and love to one another, which is what we're called to do as Christian brothers and sisters. Secondly, I would say contribute to the joy of their leadership and not contribute to their drudgery. Contribute to their joy, not their drudgery. Hebrews 13, 17 says this, Obey your leaders and submit to them. For they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. That makes sense, right? So contribute. Seek for ways to contribute to a leader's joy in leadership, not its drudgery. If you want to know how to do this, here's a couple of passages that come to mind. Didn't Jesus say to love your neighbor as yourself? Think in your mind. If I was in Dave's shoes, if I was in Guria's shoes, if I was in my community group leader's shoes, how would I want to be treated? That's a penetrating question. I would say that's a bulk of your answer right there. Here's another passage, Romans chapter 12, verse 10. It says, outdo one another in showing honor. Try to show so much honor to those that you lead that just says, you know what, I just want to honor and support you. And have a competition with it. If you're a competitive person like I am, try to outdo your neighbor in showing one another honor. That's not just leaders, but that works really well in leadership. I asked on the city this week, what communicates appreciation for you? And I appreciate that several of you responded to that. That was helpful. Here's some of the responses. Words of affirmation, small touches offering recognition, eye contact, a verbal thank you. Caring for the family of the one doing the serving. A note, a hug, and on and on it went. Do you see the variety? It's so funny because sometimes we think we're communicating appreciation. It's really, it's really deeply moving when you remember from a conversation or something that someone said and you go, ah, that really communicates appreciation to that person. I'm going to file that away and sometime in the future I'm going to bless that person by just appreciating them in a way that speaks to them, Right? I'll tell you what godly leaders want the most. I was kind of chuckling last week. One of the things about a guest speaker is you get applause when you start and end your, your, your sermon. And I kind of laugh at that. I kind of laugh because they go, 
I never get a clap for. You know, it's just old Dave, right? I, trust me. <laughs> Stop it some more. Come on. No. I'll tell you the truth. It's so funny because I, I kind of chuckled at that. Um, here is what, I promise you, here is what Christian leaders, whether you're here or you move on elsewhere, here's what godly Christian leaders want the most. They long for your growth. The most massive way you could, you could show appreciation to me is to obey the scriptures, is to remain faithful. Some of your faces, as I'm praying through and just thinking of our flock, I think of your face and I go, this is a faithful sister in Christ. Man, this is a person who's really growing up in their faith. This is a person who's having their doubts replaced by the truth. Man, that excites a Christian leader. That's what we want way more. Now, keep the coffee cards coming. Keep the words of affirmation. Keep caring for my family. You do so many things for Ben and I. We, we feel treasured here. We, we, we really do. But I'll tell you what we long for most is your growth. That's a beautiful sort of cyclical, mutually beneficial thing that goes on in the church. That's how we could get paid the most is if you are growing and sustaining in your faith. Here's number three. Accept them as God's provision. No Christian leader is perfect, but they are directed by God to both model and lead in the church. Here's the truth of it. Leaders are called to lead despite how they're being followed, right? And followers are commanded to obey their leaders and submit to them and walk with them in spite of how they're doing. Christian parents, do your Christian kids always follow the way you want them to? The answer is no. If you're a Christian child and you have Christian or non-Christian parents, you are called to act like a Christian in that home. You are called to follow them and submit to them. It's the same true in a sports team, in school, on the job, at the, you know, all these different sort of circumstances that we find ourselves in. If you accept someone as a leader in uh, your life, it changes things. Here's what it means. It means that it's a choice. There are some leaders that naturally elicit affection and appreciation and others who don't. As a part of God's family, you are to deliberately demonstrate care toward your leaders. It's not based on how lovable and admirable they are, but to recognize the contribution that they are making to the body. It's really a matter of obedience. Something I say to many couples as I'm doing their wedding is I say this. Husbands, here's what you're to do. Wives, here's what, here's what you are to do and be. I say this to both of them. And then I say this. Wives, when your husband is not leading in a way that you think is good, I didn't say if your husband ever fails in leadership. I said when. Why? Because husbands fail regularly. I tell them they have two choices. I said one, they could take up the sport of nagging, right? And the other one is that they could decide instead to lovingly support. And lovingly support takes all sorts of different shapes, which we'll get to in a moment. Guess which one's more effective? You know the answer to that. And the result is, verse 13, that you be at peace among yourselves. Now, I can feel sort of this thing in the room right now, and people are always thinking this way. But, but what about, right? And we have sort of these, these qualifiers. We say, well, wait a minute. What if the husband is, is doing this? Or what if the parents are asking this? Or what if the church leaders are demanding this? 
So here you go. What about when you aren't happy with your leaders? Here is, here is your responsibility as a Christian in a local church family. You are to handle it as the Bible instructs. Number one is you could overlook the offense. First Peter chapter four, verse eight. You could simply overlook it. Many people have no biblical grounds for what they, for what's going on. They simply don't like it. It doesn't suit them. You know who your problem is with? Your problem isn't with your local church shepherd, perhaps. It might be with the chief shepherd. Take it up with him. And it could be some really meaningful, serious things in your heart. God, I don't feel like we're valuing the word of God. We're not esteeming it like we should. God, we don't have an eye for the lost like we do, like, like, like we should. There's not an urgency there. God, we don't esteem your name. God, we don't care for one another. There's no affection in the body. I mean, just those things I just mentioned, that's a lot of hard work that takes a lot of people, right? Could it be that God's raising you up to, to be stirred up, to be a leader in that, a loving, supportive leader that would kind of begin to shine the light on that, and that church body could grow in that area? So number one is to overlook it. Number two is pray, don't put down. First Timothy 2, verse 2. Shocker, every leader has faults. I was in the home of someone in this room a couple weeks ago, and the person's daughter said, do you talk to your pastor the way you talk to everyone else? And she goes, absolutely. He's just a person just like anyone else. And I love that this person had had the freedom to communicate that way. She knows me. She knows that I know that about myself. She knows that I am just a human being that God's put in a role. I also know that she prays for me and cares for me, and she knows that I pray for her and care for her. All leaders have faults. Ask God to grow them up. If they are doing things in in a way that doesn't suit you, ask God to grow them up. You know what may happen? God may turn the table on you as you search the Scriptures to prove your point against your pastor, against your leader, against your community group leader. You might have the Scriptures turn the spotlight on you and say, you grow up. It may be that God would use you to lovingly pray into that leader's life some some deficiency, some area that they've been really flippant in or really negative in, and God's going to use that to change them and grow them up. Thirdly, have humble submission as your default stance. I've had many people do this over the years, but just this last week on a phone call, I had a person say, Dave, in my former life, in the flesh, I am a leader of leaders. I am a dominant, controlling type person. Would you guard that for me in Christ? If you ever sense that coming out in me toward you, would you call me on it? Do you see what he's doing? It's mutual love and respect. He is opening the door and saying, you have a voice into my life. I don't want to live as a child of the dark when it comes to my attitude towards authority. You know what leaders tend to think? Leaders tend to think they can do it better. It's just true. It's part of what God has built into leaders. That could be a great thing to move an organization forward. That could be a real negative thing to kind of blow the thing apart, right? And nag and sort of drag everything down. Here's another one. Encourage them. A gentle answer turns away wrath, the scriptures say. It may be that the person just needs a gentle nudge. Here's a shocker. You have blind spots and so do your leaders. Your leader may just not see it that way. I'm shocked sometimes when people say, here's what I hear you saying. And I go, gosh, that is so not what I'm communicating. 
And I, I will go back and think, how could I change that? I don't want to communicate that. That's not what I'm communicating. Here's another one. Oops. Sorry about that. <clears throat> the next one is admonish or confront them. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 19 says this, Do not entertain an accusation against an elder unless it is brought by two or three witnesses. So it doesn't mean that you ought to be like, sweet, I have scriptural commands to be able to confront and admonish all my leaders. You ought to do that slowly, but it gives you biblical grounds for it. Finally, you ought to disobey them. You ought to disobey your leaders in the church if they are asking you to do anything unbiblical, unethical, illegal, or immoral. Are we not to obey God rather than man in those circumstances? Unequivocally, yes. Disobey your Christian leaders. You didn't think you'd hear that this morning, did you? Now, it better fit in one of those four categories. You better move slowly on it. If you find yourself getting booted out of and running away from church after church after church, hint, the problem may be you, right? So have some, have some sensibility about this. But there are times, children, you should disobey your parents. There are times, spouses, wives, you are not called to submit to wicked leadership that, that asks you to do something in these four categories. Obey God and not man. All right, the truth of it is, it's not just parents, bosses, teachers, or coaches that we struggle to get along with. Perhaps even more di difficult are people who, who have sort of a similar playing field, no title difference, sibling, neighbor, coworker, classmate. So what are our actions towards one another in relationships? Again, Ecclesiastes as sort of the perfect now and later counterpart speaks to relationships. It says this, Ecclesiastes chapter 4 says, Two people are better than one. They can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. The Bible esteems elsewhere the importance of community. Let's look at verse 14 in 1 Thessalonians 5. It says, And we urge you, brothers... Admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See to it that no one repays evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. I want you to notice two things. See the great variety with which we are to approach people? This isn't some exhaustive list, but it's painting a picture that one size doesn't fit all. Uh, the book of Hebrews says this. <coughs> it says, let us consider how to stir one another on. Uh, to love and good works, not neglecting meeting together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Do you hear the now and later component of that? Looking forward to Christ, there ought to be this increased urgency. So we're to put our spurs on and spur one another on. But one spur does not fit all. You could think you're spurring one, one person on because that's how you'd be challenged on and you're really putting them down. So the Bible says have, have some wisdom on that. Second point I want you to look at is this. In verse 14, it says, We urge you, brothers. Remember, that's brothers and sisters. And then it goes on to say this, essentially, minister to the body of Christ. You know where churches get this wrong? Hey, pastor, we pay you to minister to people. Who's supposed to minister to the body? Well, the minister, of course. Who's the minister according to the scripture? You are, and you are, and you are, and you are. It's us ministering to one another. I promise you, 
the body life, body care of this congregation would be a dwindling, shriveled mess if it were up to full-time Ben and full-time Dave to minister to the body without your help. All right. It starts walking through some different things. If your idol were to warn or admonish you, Charles Spurgeon said it this way, idle people tempt the devil to tempt them. These are the people who are literally out of step. They're the ones who refuse to work. They expect others to look after them. They're loafers and meddlers. You may remember from a few weeks ago, chapter 4, verse 11 of this same letter, we're told to work hard with our hands. What happens if you encourage the idol? If you encourage the idol, you are tempting them into further sin. You are enabling them to continue in sin. When you get this wrong, it really screws things up. How about the faint-hearted? The faint-hearted are to be encouraged. We don't know why these people are faint-hearted, but it could be due to the grief of dead relatives. Remember, Paul just spoke to this. Hey, Paul, we're concerned about our dead relatives. Are they going to miss out on Jesus returning? What's going to happen to them? What's happening to them right now? And Paul speaks to that. Remember, a cemetery is really a dormitory, right? It's where the soul is alive and well. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. We know that to be true. But the body is just asleep. It's going to be woken up by Jesus when he comes back. It could be that there's persecution going on. We know that Paul fled this very city over to Berea. Why? Because he was under severe persecution. And so he went off to this other city. So they might be faint-hearted due to the current hardship. What's said is to encourage them, literally pour courage into people. Some people are by default more timid than others, and they need those who are not so timid, who are more courageous by nature, to come around and encourage them. This is a time to remind your Christian brothers and sisters of the hope that we have in Christ. It's to remind one another and rehearse the promises of God. It's to rehearse all the things that he's made. Uh, Romans 8.28 says this, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? You have a faint-hearted, timid brother or sister that comes to you this week. It's not trite if it's true. Man, hear the brother, hear the sister, but point them to the promises of God. Hey, did God, did, did, did God not give up his own son? Well, yes, he did. Is he now going to skimp on protecting you, on providing for you? No way. Man, let's do this. Let's get together and let's move forward in this. Pour courage into the faint-hearted. How about the weak? The weak we are to help. They're spiritually immature and they're spiritually sick that are amongst us at all time. They must be helped, not hindered or judged. To turn around and admonish someone who is slower on a hike... Not understanding, they might have a sore knee, they may have a bad back, they may be dehydrated. Hey, get up here! What's your problem? You're slowing us down. What does that do to family morale of a hike? Please don't try this at home, right? Man, that just crushes the spirit of that person. How much better to have the leader say, you know what, you take the lead for a while, I'm going to drop back and I'm going to walk with this person. You have a bad back? You have a spasm going on? Man, let's get some of that stuff out of your pack. Let's, let's keep walking. You have something going on with your, with your foot? Let's pause and take a look at that. 
Hey, let's slow the whole pace down. Hey, we're going to pause and break right now. Hey, some of you go on ahead. We have to get there by nightfall. You do the work of setting up. We'll get there at our own pace. Help the weak. Now, there's a lot of weak people in this world. Paul is specifically focused here on spiritually weak. doesn't mean that we're limited to helping people just in the spiritual realm. You know what I'm so excited about with this church? It is thrilling to me to go visit people only to find out they've already been visited by another minister from our church who's not named Ben or Dave. They've already been visited. I go to inquire about a need. Hey, your church family wants to come alongside you and help you with this. How are you guys doing? Oh, we've already been offered help with that. We're doing okay. Or we've already received help from that over here. There's already a project going on to, to, to meet that need. You're late to the game, pastor. Yes! I love being late to the game. I love the fact that, that it's not all on us. And that happens over and over and over around here. You know what that means? It means you see yourselves as ministers. It means you don't see yourselves as dumping the problem on the pastors and going, wow, I've done my good deed for the year. I told them about a need. Do you see the power of community groups here? A community group breaks a larger group of three services down into bite-sized people where you're known and your needs are known. So many needs just get met within community groups that right now we have a benevolence fund that is large simply because needs are getting met within community groups without ever going through an official program of the church. Man, I can't tell you how healthy that is. Um, let me invite Ethan up right now. Ethan Carlson is one of the ones that went um, up to San Francisco this last week. And as the scriptures say in a moment, you'll see that we're to extend this, not just to the church family, but to seek to do good to everyone. Um, I've asked Ethan to share just a little bit about, about the trip that we've been praying for and supporting this last week. Uh, <clears throat> yeah, um, so our high school youth group, we went up to uh, City Impact, which is in the Tenderloin area of San Francisco. We did a lot of, like, Pretty much the idea was to meet physical needs as a way to start talking with people about their spiritual needs. And one thing that Ben kind of kept reminding us is that a lot of people are dealing with isolation there. So they don't, you know, they don't have someone looking out for them necessarily. Like a lot of them were living in buildings, just one small room, one bathroom, not even a bathroom half the time. Um, and they're all, just, they're all just alone. And so we were there to help, like, just... I don't know, sort of like talk with them, just just try to give them something like good, I guess, good in their lives maybe. One of the specific things I liked more was street ministry where we would walk around with like a box of cookies or a bag of chips or whatever and we'd just hand them out to people and talk with them and we'd normally try to sit down and pray with them and, and we just met a lot of really, well, some some really interesting people, some that were just really cheerful, like really just happy to talk. Um, but another thing we did was uh, building ministries where we'd take full planned meals uh, up into buildings. And this was more isolated people who are normally more introverted. So sometimes it's harder to start a conversation with them. But there's one guy in specific who I was talking with, and he had a bit of a speech impediment, so it was hard to get his name. He had been dealing with some Jehovah's Witnesses pretty much, and he was saying that God showed him that that wasn't like that, that they weren't speaking truth pretty much and they were uh changing some of the words in the Bible and he said that doesn't sound right you know cuz you can't alter the truth to make it more true 
Um, and so he, uh, again, it was some, some, some of it was pretty hard to understand, but he was trying to like work with City Impact and get some like, medical help, hopefully. Um, but it was just interesting to me because he was understanding that he was part of the reason that he was in this house um, was because he he didn't work pretty much. He um, he knew that when he didn't have a job, the government like would fund him. Um, pretty much, they paid him to not do anything, <laughs> um, and he knew that. So he didn't. He wasn't feeling very motivated to get out of the hotel he was staying in. So he was just kind of expressing to me. Just kind of the, how working with the church has started showing him that that's not necessarily the best way to live his life. Um, and so I was telling him about the place in 140 Turk, which is where the uh, rescue mission is, um, and how he can get medical help there. And like it was just really, really nice to see how happy he was to hear that he didn't have to walk like almost a mile and a half to get to his med- medical station. And he had twice he got cancer and got over it. So he was like really. He was he he said like there's no way he he was supposed to be alive still, and so he's like God must have kept me alive for something. So he he's really like looking forward to what he's gonna be able to do with the church. So, awesome. Thank you, Ethan. You can clap for him. So, of these ten high school students that went around and Ben, um, please ask them about it. Some of you have been on a trip. God's done incredible things. You've seen things with your own eyes. Um, and you're longing to, to share you know, some of the stories that, that God has done. Uh, it's encouraging as a church family to, to ask and just find out more about what's going on. Thanks for sharing that, Ethan. Well, the scriptures make it really clear that, um, that this common need is amongst all these, and that is patience. Um, patience just has the idea of long-suffering. Uh, it's, it's whether you're working with people on the streets, whether you're working with people who are in the church, outside the church, family members, that we have a long view toward them, that we will choose um, to be patient. It's something that's a fruit of the Spirit, also a descriptor of love in 1 Corinthians 13. I want you to answer me this question. What is this right here? <laughs> yeah. I was asking the guys this morning, I said, what percentage of our church body is going to know this? And we thought around 60% of you might know. What is the basic function of a TV receiver? What is it, what is it supposed to do? Like in non-technical layman's terms. Yeah, it's supposed to receive airways so you can watch TV, right? Some of you remember actually doing this. Now, what happens while you're watching your favorite program, you finally get your chores done, you finally get a half hour of TV, and you sit there and, and the uh, you know, rabbit ears are up there getting your TV signal. What happens for no apparent reason sometimes? It goes out, right? There's static. It gets all fuzzy. Now, is there an app that helps you deal with this? No. What do you have to do? Yeah, you have to put the Cheetos down. You have to get up off your rear end. You have to walk several feet. And then what do you do? You start moving that thing around, right? And then you're asking your, your family, your friends, is that better? You know, right there, hold it. And sometimes the person has to kind of hold it. And you kind of gently let go and walk away. No, walk back there. Okay. And when it gets really crazy, you break out the uh, aluminum foil. Remember that? Sometimes that would help. <laughs> Here's the point. Just as seasons change, relationships change. And for no apparent reason, you will have received your leaders, and it's a good season. You've received them, and all of a sudden there begins to be static. All of a sudden it's not so easy to receive the person in your life in the church who's a leader. 
Uh, sometimes in relationships, receiving your spouse as a gift from God is easier on your wedding day. It's a lot harder sometimes at your fourth anniversary and your 24th anniversary. Receiving your small group leader as a gift from God and someone that you joyfully come alongside is easier at the beginning of the season than somewhere halfway through. Your brothers and sisters. So when they're static, and sometimes for no apparent reason, here's what I'm asking you to do. I'm asking you to put the Cheetos down. I'm asking you to get up off your rear end and go start futzing with the rabbit ears. Do the hard work of figuring out. Sometimes it might be just this, man, brother, I just need to come to you. I don't know why, but I feel tension between you. It's so imperative that your leaders, that the elder board doesn't keep things between one another, that we don't, that we don't harbor ill will, that we don't just allow that static to go on. It's so important that people in this church family don't just allow that to go, well, that's just how it is. They've changed, and I'm not talking to them. But to do the hard work of coming and saying, you know what, this, this very well could be me, but I want to work this out. This is too important for us not to get this figured out. We went through a series that you can go back and listen to, all off of Romans fifteen seven, which quite simply says this, Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. If you want to know the model and the standard for how to welcome each other into the family, whether it's a relationship with a peer or a relationship with a leader, that is your picture. And the word we learned in that series was this word proslambano, which means this, to receive, to take hold of, to bring along, to lead aside, to grant access to your heart. We have a good thing going at this church, you guys. We have a good thing going between followers and leadership. We have a good thing going between family members. We're not perfect. We have a long way to grow in many areas. But let's guard this. Let's work to preserve this. Let's just live as the scriptures tell us to live. Let me pray. God, just now as we continue in keeping our eyes focused on you, God, as we receive an offering, every dollar that's given in generosity as a a vote of trust to the leadership here, God, publicly before our people and before you, Keep us grounded in how to steer those resources, God. I pray people would continue to give of themselves and their time and their creativity and their energy in the same way, God, as an act of worship, as an act of obedience to you. Father, I pray that you would grow us up as family members. God, if there's tension in the room today between biological family members or spiritual family members, God, help us not to let the sun go down on that. Help us to take the conviction of the Holy Spirit and to act on that and to remove things and to go and and apologize and seek forgiveness where it's needed and grant forgiveness where it's needed in other places. God, we need your help in this. We celebrate and glorify you for all that is. In Jesus' name.